All right. Good morning, everybody. Wow, this is, um, it's a little cold in here, <laughs> but um, I, I, I hate to remind all of you that uh, we did worship outside for the entire summer and fall. Uh, we did that. That happened. So <laughs> this is cold, but remember, we're, we're okay. <laughs> we can do it. We are New Englanders. All right. Um, now, I know that we are probably having some sermon series whiplash, right? Because we were in Matthew uh, a little while ago, and then we took a little detour to Ruth uh, for the Christmas season. And then, of course, there's the one-off sermon uh, for Christmas itself. And now we are right back into the book of Matthew. Not to mention, last week, we uh, postponed service as well. So back and forth, aye, 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 but... We are going to get right back into the Matthew groove on the Sermon on the Mount. So, the big question for today is, what is your treasure? What is your treasure? Just like ancient old pirates, Jack Sparrow, we are looking for treasure. We're not necessarily looking for a giant red X in the sand that leads to a chunk of gold, but we're all looking for something. A 2016 survey, I know 2016 seems like so long ago where priorities were different, but hang with me. 2016 survey asked people what they want more of in life. And here were the top eight answers in order. Number one, happiness, money, freedom, peace, joy, balance, fulfillment, and confidence. Now with this pandemic that we're living through, I think that we've seen many of these desires to be proven true. Some people have been upset at the social restrictions that hope to limit the spread, saying that it's taking away their freedom. Since they desire freedom, they're upset when it's taken away from them. Some people, like myself, have been nonstop anxious about this very unique political cycle. For people that desire peace, not having peace and having politics disrupt that peace can be really anxiety-inducing. And some people are very concerned about the economy during this pandemic. People who look forward to that next stimulus because they need it to pay rent or need it to pay bills. Or on the flip side, you have people with a lot of money that have different reactions when a new tax bill is put in place. For those who desire money, both who have it or who don't have it, not getting it can make them angry. A common theme here is that we can best determine what we desire, what we treasure, based on how we react when it's taken away from us. In other words, we can determine best what our dreams are by looking at our nightmares. So what about us? What are our dreams? What are our nightmares? What do you see as your top desire and why is that desirable? Is it happiness, money, freedom? What about the other ones? Peace, fulfillment, confidence? And yes, I know that you would select all of the above, right? That that all sounds great. But I'm talking about that one thing that keeps you up at night because you cannot stop thinking about having it. I'm talking about that thing that has caused lifelong friendships because of mutual desires and has caused huge divisions between friends and family because that desire was threatened. Chances are there's only one thing on your mind right now. I can't tell you what it is. To think of it yourself. Is it money? Is it freedom? Is it happiness? 
In our text today, we're going to return back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God coming. He is teaching people how to have a kingdom-based mindset, and he's just doing a good old-fashioned sermon. So Jesus is going to tell us three things today. So listen for these in the sermon. One, earthly treasures will not last. Two, our desire is based on our perspective. And three, we cannot serve two masters. Ultimately, the big picture, the overarching umbrella of today's text is our desires determine which single master we serve, either momentary treasures which waste away or eternal God who satisfies forever. So look ahead in your bulletin. We're in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. If you brought your own Bible, again, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, but it's right in your bulletin for you. Matthew writes, as Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right. So Jesus starts off with a phrase here that may sound like he's working for a home insurance company, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But Jesus isn't trying to get us to spend money to protect our investments. He's saying don't invest at all. Now, when we get into passages like this, there can be ones where a lot of people will try to tell you different opinions on it. But we have to remember that when we come to God's word, we set aside our personal bias, we set aside our personal opinions, and we let Jesus, our Lord and Savior, tell us what to do rather than the other way around. We need to let God's word tell us what to do rather than us projecting our own opinions onto it and twisting it to say what we want to say. So when Jesus says something like you cannot serve both God and money, it's pretty clear that he means you cannot serve both God and money. There's not a lot of real interpreting that has to be done there. It's pretty clean. Just because God says something that's uncomfortable or against how you have been raised or brought up, doesn't mean that he's wrong. God's truth needs to transcend our feelings. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Jesus' argument here and unpack what he's trying to say. He says not to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Most other English translations also say lay up, but some also translate it as do not store up riches, do not collect riches, don't hoard riches, And with all of those, I think we can start to get a pretty good picture about what Jesus is saying here. I'm I'm not picturing a common person with a decent job and some savings. No, I'm picturing a medieval dragon sitting on top of a gold coin, pile of gold coins, threatening to destroy anyone that comes near. But we're not dragons, and gold coins are not used in our economy. So let's put that idea to actual dollars. How much would you say is too much? How much would you say is hoarding? A study in 2019, which is a little bit more recent than 2016, thankfully, determined how much money you need to live comfortably in each state. How much money you need comfortably to live in each state. 
They combine things such as house costs, uh, food and supplies, entertainment costs, and then gave it a nice 20% boost uh, for that living comfortably part. In Massachusetts, the income to live comfortably is $62,218. That's the yearly salary. Now, of course, that's just for one person. If you have kids or dependents or other responsibilities, that number will double, quadruple, triple, however increase. But the point is, you don't need to be making a million dollars a year to live comfortably. You don't even need to be making a quarter of a million dollars a year to live comfortably. Even the richest state to live comfortably, Hawaii, is $96,120 a year. You don't need to store up a lot of money and treasures to live comfortably. That excuse doesn't really fly. But Jesus gives us two really big reasons why we shouldn't do this other than you don't need it. He says, moth and rust destroy it and thieves will break in and steal it. Basically, entropy is inevitable and the treasures will never be completely safe. Even if our money is kept forever, the value of the dollar can go up and down or fire can just simply destroy cash. Or the economy or even the country could fail. Confederate dollars aren't really used in our economy right now. Valuable items could be stolen or destroyed. Just think of all the beautiful, expensive items sitting at the bottom of the ocean in the Titanic. But with the pursuit of money being so common, it can be hard to believe something like this, right? We may think, well, of course Jesus is saying that because he lived poorly and the poor always say money doesn't matter. If he had money, he would understand how important it is to keep it. If that's your first thought, or if you're still hesitant to abandon this goal based on Jesus' uh, uh, experience here, listen to another biblical figure who knew very, very well what it was like to be wealthy. King Solomon most likely wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and a decent amount of the Proverbs. Now, King Solomon, as the name suggests, was a king, so that's already a decent amount of inheritance that he would have gotten as being part of a royal family. On top of that, he received an estimated $40 million in gold every year as tribute. On top of that, he would tax his own people and be paid from his various businesses and trade. His total assets were estimated to be worth more than $2.2 trillion today. And that's a lot. I know that that may not be like Mark Zuckerberg level, but I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that's more than any of us have. During the reflection of his life, Solomon wrote this. He said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came. And he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away with him. The man was literally surrounded by tons and tons of gold. He could buy whatever he wanted. And yet he saw the endless pursuit of money meaningless. He says riches may be held on to or they may be lost in a bad venture, but either way, the money stays here once we leave. We cannot take our wealth with us after we die. Even if we're saving money for kids or grandkids, even they won't be able to take it with them after they die. Psalm 49 says pretty much the same thing. 
Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Or as another pastor, Trip Lee, puts it, you may go down in history, but everything will go down eventually. So what's the alternative? After Jesus' warning of heavily accumulating wealth for oneself on earth, he says this, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus encourages us to accumulate wealth in heaven rather than on earth because there's no entropy or thieves to, ste- or thieves to steal it. Excuse me. And the biblical writer Peter agrees, writing that our inheritance given to us by God is, quote, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, those reasons may feel like we shouldn't even bother with earthly treasures like money, but Jesus isn't telling us to not have any money at all. First Timothy says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't hear me saying that money is bad and that you shouldn't touch it. Hear me saying that money is just another gift from God that we can easily abuse by having a greedy heart. Timothy says that God gives us everything that we need to be joyful. We can live comfortably and not ashamed, as there's a huge difference between using money as just a means to live and eat and provide for your family, or living as a means to get money. It's a big difference there. If your life exists to make money, then money isn't serving you, you're serving it. That's why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What you view as your treasure will become your endless pursuit in what you live for. So how exactly are we to store up treasures in heaven? Simply by not having money? Is it like a scale that tips back and forth? No. God rewards those who lovingly obey him by doing good and glorifying him. God lovingly rewards those who obey him by doing good and glorifying him. Timothy puts it pretty cleanly. He says the rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasures as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Do you see that Timothy uses the exact same wording as Jesus, right? Storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. Instead of being rich in cash, be rich in good works. That's why God gives us money. That's why it's a gift. Not to be greedy, but to be generous and to be willing to share with others. Then you will have treasures in heaven. When we hoard money, we're taking God's gift for ourselves and we're going against God's commandment of us. So when it comes down on where you store your treasures, just by simple logic, we would want to store it where it cannot be stolen, where it cannot be destroyed. Now that would be the end of the sermon, right? We're good, we're done. But the problem is we're not on heaven now. We're not in heaven now. We're on earth now, and the treasures of heaven won't buy us a new car. 
They won't buy us a new phone. They won't buy us respect from other people who are rich. We desire the treasures of earth far more than the treasures of heaven because they seem more tangible to us. So how do we change our perspective of treasure if the simple reasoning of stored in heaven so it won't be destroyed isn't enough for us? So next up in verse 22, Jesus gives us our answer. In between these verses talking about money, Jesus takes a quick detour to talk about eyes. Read with me in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Why is Jesus suddenly talking about eyes when he was previously talking about money? Let's unpack it to understand. Jesus is explaining a clear link between the eyes and the body. If the eye is healthy, the body is full of light. If the eye is unhealthy, the, eye is, uh, the body is full of darkness. There's a connection there, right? He also mentions that if the body is full of darkness, if the eye is bad, then what did he say? How great is the darkness? Now, there's a couple of common sayings that I think will help us kind of get into the right mindset for this, this verse. I'm sure we've all whole, uh, heard beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Or one man's trash is another man's treasure. What do both of these have in common? Treasure is determined by how we view it. And the the, the eye is not just metaphorical here either. We tend to physically view that which we desire most. Right? The, the The whole point of marketing is to show you something in a way that will make you desire it. The key to unlocking our desires is in our eyes. Once we see something with our eyes and desire it in our hearts, then there's very little time before that thing becomes a treasure to us. So if we are desiring the wrong things, then Jesus encourages us to check the source of our desires, which is our eyes. Change your eye, change your perspective. Consider a a, a jeweler who does appraisals right? Determining the worth of something. When given a beautiful diamond, he is able to correctly determine that it is priceless, worth so much money, which is a good appraisal. Or a bad jeweler might do that appraisal differently. He might say it's worthless. Maybe he doesn't see the craftsmanship. Uh, Maybe his magnifying glass is broken. I, I don't know. But it will be a bad appraisal. In the same way, a good eye appraises treasures rightly. A bad eye does not. An eye is good because it works correctly. It sees God and the things of God as the ultimate treasure and earthly treasures such as money as momentary. Theologian John Piper helps us out here. He writes, a good eye is a valuing eye, a discerning eye, a treasuring eye. It doesn't just see facts about money and God. It doesn't just perceive what is true and false. It sees beauty and ugliness. It senses value and worthlessness. It discerns that which is really desirable and what is undesirable. The seeing of a good eye is not neutral. When it sees God, it sees God as beautiful. It sees God as desirable. That's why the good eye leads to the way of light, laying up treasures in heaven and serving God, not money. The good eye is a single eye. It has one treasure, God. When that happens in your life, you're full of light. 
So we know as we, as we sing these worship songs and we hear about how great God is, we hear that he is full of beauty and love and splendor. And how we view him doesn't change that. Even if we view God as unloving, unmerciful, or even non-existent, that doesn't change the fact that he is eternally loving, extremely merciful, and altogether real. Just as viewing money as the ultimate treasure doesn't change the fact that it is only momentary and will fade away. The difference is how we perceive the eternal treasures of God, not the question of its existence. So a good eye looks constantly to the things of God as its treasure. Physically, it looks at the pages of the Bible. It looks to the needy with help in hand. And it looks at itself with humility. But what about a bad eye? A bad eye is so bad that it doesn't even look towards the things of God at all. A bad eye completely disobeys the law given in Exodus. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or anything that is your neighbor's. So a bad eye looks jealously at their neighbor's grand house. A bad eye looks lustfully at other women or men, either in person or on a screen. Bad eye looks enviously at their neighbor's car or TV or a new phone. A bad eye is bad because it looks to everything other than God to fulfill them. And that's why it's bad, because nothing other than God can fulfill us. A bad eye appraises things wrongly. It's wrong in its appraisal. How great is the darkness indeed. So are you careful with what you look at, lest your good eye become bad? When an advertisement comes on TV, do you watch intently eager to give away your money for whatever convinces you, even though you know it's just all rhetoric? When the newest book, movie, or phone comes out, do you stop at nothing to obtain it, even though you know you can be patient? Do your eyes treat attractive men and women as nothing more than a body, even though you know sex was designed for marriage, not for fantasy? Do you dream of getting a brand new car, a faster car, a more luxurious car, even though you know your current car will get you from A to B just fine? Jesus' teachings about good and bad eyes shows us plainly that physical perspectives reveal spiritual desires. Physical perspectives reveal spiritual desires. How we view different things reveals our spiritual desires. So are your spiritual desires that which of earthly treasures which will wart away and fade or even be stolen? Or is it of godly treasures which will forever satisfy and never fade? So after talking about treasure and eyes, Jesus returns to the topic of money specifically in verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's almost as if Jesus was anticipating a response here, right? It's almost as if he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the crowd responded, well, what about storing up treasures in both heaven and earth? Why do I have to choose? And honestly, if, of someone who comes from a background where I like to look at things logistically, yeah, that's a good question. It makes sense. Why can't we have both? 
Why do we only have to serve one master? Why can't I be super rich on earth, keep all those riches for myself, and have an abundance of treasures in heaven? Why can't I just have a win-win? Or like, I don't know, like two part-time jobs. Let's compare these two masters to get some answers. And let's, let's start with money. Money, like food, sex, entertainment, drugs, whatever vice you can tap into, is at first a really great master, right? Kind, generous, compassionate. The first time you get any one of these vices, you get a clear dopamine rush that's hard to ignore. Dopamine is literally a chemical designed to tell your brain something feels good. It's natural. Because of that dopamine rush, you want more. The good news is there's plenty more. There's always more money to earn, more investments to be made, more hours to work. Not only does earning money feel good, but spending money feels good as well. Even just spending wealth to get more wealth, it seems like a good investment to dress nice, to get a better job, to spend more money on clothes, on a new car, etc., to make you look good. It seems like a good investment to get more money. But since money makes you feel good, you become protective of it. Stop letting others borrow money if they need it. You cheat on your taxes, maybe you just don't even pay at all. You push people away who you think would only attempt to get your money whether they need it or not. And since you're seeing dollar signs everywhere, you start seeing them in places where you know you shouldn't. People start having dollar amounts attached to them. And the law hasn't stopped you from accumulating your current wealth, so how could it stop you from getting what else you want? Even so, you could just pay off the judge, pay off the police. Everything is legal to you because you have money and nothing will stop you from getting more. And I know that you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, that's really dramatic. But history will quickly prove us otherwise. We must not forget that not too long ago, African Americans were sold and bought like cattle. Jesus himself was sold for only 30 pieces of silver. That's how much his wealth was determined. We also have numerous stories of the ultra-wealthy using their wealth and status to become sex predators. Becoming a criminal because one has a lot of money is not uncommon at all. And on a much smaller scale, families are continually torn apart by inheritances left in wills as they argue what? What their love was worth. you see how the pursuit of money quickly leads to a path of sin? As I previously mentioned, if your life exists to get money, the money isn't serving you. You're serving it. And when you serve money, sure, it'll get you a lot of nice things. It'll get you a lot of attractive people. And it'll get you the highest highs. But what happened to your soul? That's why Timothy writes in his book in the Bible, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with money, many pangs. I think that speaks for itself. But what about the other uh, master that's mentioned? God. What about God? 
God is the one who not only created us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, but who also created the earth and the entire universe. Our God is three in one, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each one loves us in a very unique way. God does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable and he is abundant in power. His way is perfect. He is worthy to receive glory and power. But most importantly, Paul says to us in Romans that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whether we perceive it to be true or not, God came down to earth in form of a man, Jesus Christ. He lived without sin, and then he took the world's penalty for sin on that cross. He rose from the dead three days later and promised that those who repent of their sins and put their faith in his sacrifice for their sins will not perish for their sins, but have eternal life with him. He promises to take care of us and comfort us in this life, and then we will eternally worship him in the next. That is the biggest treasure, regardless of our perspective, whether our appraisal is correct or wrong. So when comparing these two masters, at least for me, I think it's pretty clear which one comes out on top. A shiny new car or investment account can't compare with a love that never ends from a God that never ends. And, and let me be really clear. If you hear nothing else from this sermon, please hear this. Money can buy you a lot of things, but it cannot buy you eternal life. That can only be bought with the blood of Christ that has been shed in our place. If you're living your life for money, or for another vice, you're living for the wrong thing. And you will regret it. But why must we choose between these two masters? We've, we've compared them, we've seen the, the, the pros and cons, but we still haven't understood why we can't just have both at the same time. Because our God is a jealous God. In the book of Exodus, God commands his people not to carve idols for themselves. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jesus also commands us to, quote, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is good that God is jealous for us. It's because he loves us. He, does, he wants us to be loved by him. He doesn't want idols to take us away from him. And also, he deserves our full love for all the reasons that I mentioned previously, plus the fact that he is creator, redeemer, and simply Lord of all. Shai Lin, who's a lyricist, which is really just a fancy word for rapper. I'm, I'm not going to fool you. Um, he says this in one of his songs about the jealousy of God. This, this really helped me understand the goodness of the jealousy of God. I'm not going to rap it for you, don't worry, but I will. I'll, I'll read it like slam poetry style. God's jealousy is frightful, yet it's delightful and good too. I couldn't think of much worse if I tried than a dude who smirks if you flirt with his bride. So tell me, what kind of God would he be if he wasn't bothered to see idolatry? 
Is God just supposed to laugh and withhold his wrath when he's replaced by a golden calf? You say, I don't worship a golden calf, but for us, it's self and sex and loads of cash. So no, we cannot serve two masters because one of those masters, God, demands all of us. He will not let us serve another. So, on the flip side, if we're serving anything else with our entire being, then we're not serving God. Full stop. Just as you cannot be in two places at the same time, you cannot give your heart and your full being to both God and money, or God and sex, or God and drugs, or God and self. But money and other vices will lie to you. Even some pastors will lie to you. And they'll say that you can serve both. They'll lie and they'll say that God wants you to serve both. They'll say that he wants you to be happy in this specific sinful way. But based on what what Jesus has said clearly in our passage today, that's not true. Money, other vices, even some pastors will tempt you and say, just serve God on Sunday. Just go to church. That's all God wants from you. God only cares about your public life. God only cares about your Sunday life. In private, you can do whatever you want. But that's a lie. The Bible tells us clearly, you read our text clearly, God will punish you for your private and your public sins. But if you're saved, he will save you from both your private and your public sins. God deserves love from all of our being because he has saved all of our being. Our actions pour out into our public lives, but they start in our private lives. They start from our perspective, from our eyes. They start from if we fight sinful desires, if we trust in God, or if we trust in ourselves, or if we let those things turn our body into darkness. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So now we get to the fun part. We get to ourselves. What does your heart want? I mentioned it in the beginning of the sermon. I'm sure you've been thinking about it until now. What does your heart want? What is your treasure? Are you letting it determine what you do? How you live? What you view as your treasure will ultimately guide your heart. Are you guided and driven to get as many earthly treasures as possible? Or are you guided and driven to serve God and develop a relationship with him? church, in person, live stream, listening in the future, greetings from the past. Has your life been controlled by another master? A master other than the one true master, God? Church, are you believing, are you believing the lies of a le- living a wealthy life? Do you only go to work to make more money, hoping to get that next big thing that you know won't satisfy you forever? 
Is your respect for others or yourself just simply based on how much money you make or how much money they make? Do you watch the stock market like a hawk? Do you fantasize about what to spend money on? Are you controlled by the master of money? Young adults, or even adult adults, even older adults, are you believing the lies of another idol, sex? Do you take God's gift of sex and abuse it, either with premarital sex or porn? Has your heart been filled with such idolatry that you cannot even look at someone of the opposite or same sex without feeling lust in your heart? Are you controlled by the master of sex? Now, those are only two examples, but we know there's a lot more. Our text today discusses money. I've given a couple examples of sex, but we know that there are many gifts from God that we can easily turn into idols for ourselves and worship them instead of God. A very common one is alcohol. A super common one is pride, serving yourself. There's laziness, drugs. One that I've seen a lot these days is politics. What would you be most upset about if it was taken away from you or if it didn't go your way? So if you're struggling with one of these or others, if you feel as if you are being controlled of a treasure of the earth rather than under the loving arms of God, if you're struggling with addiction, please talk to Stephen, confide in a trusted church member, talk to your small group about it, men and women's small groups. Sin thrives in darkness. Jesus says nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Far better is it for you to reveal your sin yourself, to repent and be forgiven, rather than God to judge you for. He will save you from that sin. He will give you freedom from that sin. So leave your earthly treasures, which tempt us to leave our loving Father and trade them in for treasures in heaven for everlasting life and true freedom. So in conclusion, I know our text today is serious, right? We've kind of warmed up a little bit. But it's serious and I'm serious. I I don't want to lie to you. Like, this text contains our day-to-day lifestyle. This text contains keys to either eternal life, to salvation, or honestly, to, to eternal damnation. Every action that we do, every thought that we have is storing up treasures somewhere. It's either storing them up on earth, which will fade, or in heaven, where they will last forever. We've learned that what we view as treasure is determined by our perspective. Is our eye and our perspective good that we call the things of God good? Or is our eye and our perspective bad that we rationalize sinful decisions or we justify hurting others for personal gain? Ultimately, we can't serve two masters. You cannot give your life to the pursuit of the almighty dollar and the almighty God. Hence why Jesus says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I know in New England we don't have a lot of camels, but trust me, they they don't fit (laughs) in an eye of a needle. They, They just don't. 
if this text has called you to repent and reevaluate how you spend money, how you use money, I have a fantastic resource to recommend. Managing God's Money by Randy Alcorn. Write this down if you want it. Managing God's Money by Randy Alcorn. This is a no-holds-back guide to money management uh, that's soaked in Bible verses and theology. I use it as a lot of research for this sermon. But it can be serious at times. It encourages you to bring your children to a trash dump to see the emptiness of materialism. It encourages you to cut your credit card in half if you miss even a single payment to avoid getting soaked in debt. Now, that's serious, but if we're talking about eternal life, if we're talking about our relationship with our God, we need to be serious. So let me end today with a section from that book in which Randy Alcorn discusses our text today. He writes, people store up treasures on earth rather than in heaven, not just because of greed and selfishness, but also because of fear and insecurity. Yet putting our hope in earthly treasures does nothing but multiply anxiety. Why? Because earthly treasures are so temporary and uncertain. They cannot bear the weight of our trust. If what you treasure most is deposited in the bank and the bank fails, your heart will fail with it. In contrast, one who hopes in God will be devastated only if God fails. And he never does. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. You are merciful. You are loving. You are altogether real. Father, we thank you so much for your gifts. We thank you so much for giving us money so that we can be rich in good works, that we may give it away, that we may treat others. We thank you so much for other gifts such as sex that, makes, that is part of what makes marriage beautiful, of bringing together two flesh into one. We thank you so much for your gifts, God, and, and we do apologize, we do repent for abusing those gifts and even turning them into idols for taking them for ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your word and the seriousness of your word, for exposing and breaking our idols, exposing them to not truly satisfy us, that they will rot away, that they will be stolen. Thank you for giving us freedom in this way. We praise you for your love for us. Please continue to bless your church, bless us and build our love for you. In Christ's name, amen.